You're listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Sydney. I'm Danny, and I help connect businesses with top tech talent. And today, I'm your host. Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Podcast. Um, I'd like to say a massive thank you for all my guests joining me today. We're going to be discussing scaling tech project teams. Um, we've got a fantastic panel, and I'd like to kick off the podcast by asking you who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. Um, I'm happy to go first. So for those of you who don't know, I'm Danny. I'm part of Evolution's team of recruitment consultants. I specialize in recruiting contract DevOps and cloud engineers in Sydney. Um, I'm particularly passionate about helping teams and companies scale up and grow during kind of big digital transformation phases. Um, David, would you like to kick us off by introducing who you are for us? Yeah, cool. Thank you, Danny. Um, my name is David Higgins. I'm Chief Technology Officer at Aura. Um, I always feel like Chief Technology Officer is a much more salubrious title than I deserve. Um, but my background is in software engineering. I don't write a lot of code on the job anymore, but but I have written a lot of code in the past, and I mainly now focus on sort of strategy and, and architecture and those sorts of things. And and building teams up. Um, Aura, um, at its most general, I guess, is a platform that aggregates content and makes it available in more immersive and, and, engage, and engaging ways. And I think it's probably a little bit nebulous. So um, probably a good example is sport. We do a lot of stuff in sport at the moment. Sport has a, a real issue where um, it is facing a generation that consume content a lot differently than in the past, but also technology that is fighting for people's attention. So we have a platform that um, we build apps on top of, and they might be mobile apps, they might be uh, connected TV apps, uh, um, set-top box apps um, that will connect into our back-end platform. And we, we sort of approach things, I guess, more like a video game. So we create a more immersive environment, which encourages engagement, which uh, has all the good things that, that come with that in terms of commerciality and things like that. Brilliant. Thank you for that. Javi, do you want to go next for us? Yes, thanks, uh, Danny. Uh, my name is Xavi or Xavier here, how you pronounce in, in Sydney. Um, I'm head of engineering at Simple Wall Street, uh, responsible for building the culture and growing the team. Um, I'm an engineer at heart, and uh, a passion I have is playing the guitar, so it's been a lot of time for me. It's a, like a good way to disconnect and, and think about things, and then I can go back to to work all the things. So yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And last but not least, Federico. Hi, so I'm Federico, head of DevOps at Slip. Um, what we do at Slip is a bit of a marketing take is that and doing the dynamic checkout, ex the checkout experience more dynamic at the retailers. So that means these days creating digital receipts. And on top of that, building more products like loyalty products and other things that can be done with that technology. As for my passions, also have a technical background in software engineering. These days, more on the DevOps side of things, but I do enjoy uh, solving technical challenges. And in the last few years, also after moving away from consulting, doing building more like engineering practices and processes and scaling a company. Uh, at this stage, the company is going from being a startup to a scale up, so a lot of growth happening, and a lot of things to do there in terms of processes, culture, and also technical things. And outside of work, uh, definitely like doing sports. Like Xavi said, like very good to get out, uh, get off the screen for some time today to be able to come back to it, uh, liking what we do. 
Amazing. Great stuff. Thanks for that, gents. So to kick off the podcast with the first question. Um, so scaling generally requires hiring often quite a number of a time, hiring lots of people at the same time. What do you do to ensure that bringing on new hires does not cause the productivity of the existing group to drop? Now, David, that came from you. Do you want to kind of elaborate on that for us a little bit? Yeah, look, uh, look I guess, you know, scaling is not just about hiring people, but at the end of the day, um, uh, people are a, a huge part of actually scaling a business up. Um, and we all know that when you bring someone on board, um, there needs to be an amount of work to actually get them up and running. And it's a huge issue if you're growing very, very rapidly and you've got 10 people and you bring on five more, that's a lot of people to bring on that could effectively um, cause the rest of the team to um, to become less and less productive. And so I'm interested to hear, well, first put my opinion across, but then also hear from others about how they're dealing with that, um, with that particular issue. But um, I've got to say, I kind of think it's a little bit of a trick question on my behalf because I think the reality is that you sort of can't cause productivity drop when you bring on new people. I actually think that you need to kind of set yourself up with the business to be able to absorb that potential productivity drop. Um, what I mean by that is, is that uh, it's an investment. So if you could normally get a certain amount of stuff done with 10 people and you hire two people and you want to you know, bring them on board and it requires someone to bring them on board, then I think you just need to prepare the business that you know you won't be able to get as much done for that period of time because you're going to need to bring that person on board. And just like anything, there's an upfront cost in investment, um, but you hope to, to reap the rewards of that cost um, at some stage in the past. Having said all that, there are certainly things that you can do to minimise uh, the amount of productivity loss, even though you do have to accept some um, productivity loss there. And I, I, I favour not bringing on board one person here and one person there, but also not necessarily bringing one person in that team and one person in that team at the same time. My preference is to bring on multiple people um, who potentially are within the same team, not too many, but multiple people within the same team, because I think you get some economies of scale when you do that. You can have one existing person dealing with, you know, maybe two, three, even four new people and helping on board those people. But the other part of it is, is that those new team members can support each other. So be it just someone to turn to when they've got downtime or don't understand something, someone that they can turn to and grab a coffee with, um, uh, that can help you lessen the, the impact on everyone else because we know that bringing new people on is not just teaching them skills, it's about making them feel like the valuable members of the team that, that, they, that they are. Um, and so all those things they can do with each other can also help. Um, the other thing is, is just having a structured onboarding process, um, just which includes documentation, um, so that they can do a lot of stuff and self-serve themselves. So instead of somebody having to sit with them, for example, and take them through the history of the company or take them through how to set up their particular development environment, they should be able to sit down and do that stuff themselves. More junior people are going to require a little bit more hands-on, but more senior people should be able to get themselves up and running um, with a, in a bunch of different areas without having to affect um, too, many, too many other people. So, you know, I think combination of making sure the business understands an investment, but then also just doing those small steps to make it um, as uh, less of the impact as much as possible on the rest of the team. Fantastic. Thank you for that. Javier, do you have any insights to go over the back of some of David's points there? Um, no, those were very, very good points. Um, I, I guess for a, from our perspective at Simple Wall Street, we try, it depends on the teams as well. They, we are hiring the people. So um, we have more mature teams. So maybe people, uh, teams that have been for a long time they understand very well the domain and probably they have more senior people. And then we have Nego teams. So we balance that out 
we try to balance that out when we bring in the people uh, within the team. So uh, I guess we, uh, the same as David mentioned, is we have a very clear plan, onboarding plan. We have a document that is going to go through all the uh, specific tasks and contact points with the different people within the business. So that's something you get the first day and we, we plan. Uh, very well, because for us uh, as a scale-up, it's one of the most important things. Being having a successful onboarding, it's how we measure success for the business. Really, uh, if the person takes two months, three months to be kind of uh, autonomous instead of six months. That you know, it's it's win for everyone. So we have a document, and then we try to assign the people one person or two people, depending on, on the, how mature the team is and the seniority within the team. So it's it's like an art uh, and it's quite complicated. And I guess as well, depends on, on the domain and the, how much deep you need to understand the domain in order to be effective. But I think the, it depends on each business. So you, you need to really adjust on the, on the requirements of where the, the company is at and seniority within the, the team. I think that helps a lot for the actual um, onboarding process for the candidate starting as well. They come into a lot more structured setup environments. It's a great way to start their journey. Um, Federico, any points um, to add to those? Um, a lot of agreement with what the guys have said. In terms of impact, I agree you can try to minimize it, but some of it is unavoidable and setting the expectations is, is the key thing. Um, and the other thing I would say is, I mean, the documentation, yes, definitely. One thing to add there is like the documentation at least where where I'm working, it's always out of date. Um, and I find that to be a bit unavoidable, but I make it their task to update it. And then like, I tell them like, think how good this it would be if this documentation was completely up to date. Well, you can do something about it for the next person as the previous one did it for you. So I find that to be a good incentive because sometimes getting into a company and start modifying this document, although these days there's a wiki, but sometimes it takes a bit of a push to do it. And the other thing is, yeah, making that investment uh, to make sure that they feel part of the team. And sometimes if you have to hold their hands and that takes a productivity hit for the rest of the team, so be it, because it's it's crucial at the beginning of their journey in the company. Um, and finally, if it's, um, especially if it's more senior people, there's this thing that I call the, the power of fresh, fresh eyes, which is like, well, you have been around, you have seen a few things, if we do them, differently here, what do you think about that? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it just different? And there can be a lot of value in that, I find. When people come and question things, you have completely accepted and got used to it. And then someone asks a question, it's like, why are we actually doing it that way? And that can be, let's say, a source of value, perhaps an unexpected source of value to improve things. Brilliant, thank you for that. David, um, how do you feel about some of those answers? Is there anything else that you'd like to, to close off on that? No, it's good, and I, th I think that you know th there's a lot of stuff that I really like. But yeah, I do really like that the fresh eyes approach to documentation, especially great way to get everyone to contribute to documentation and to get someone to contribute to documentation who's not kind of immersed in the way you already do things is 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 a really great idea. But I also think you know you've got to because Zoe said that you've got to um, you've got to be prepared to kind of change a little bit on the type of person you're bringing on board as well. I think adapting the, the not just having a, a cookie cut approach to everyone coming on board, but making sure that you have the right approach for the, for the right roles and the right seniority as well is great. Brilliant. 
I'm going to throw it straight back to Federica. I think you've kind of touched on this already, but um, about giving freedom to, to the team. So how do you balance giving freedom to the teams while maintaining enough control? Yeah, actually, I've been, I, I make a bit of a confession there. I thought the question was going to be thrown around first. So I was hoping to get everybody else inside. And it's like, ah, oh, now I need to give my response to it. Um, so yeah, I can tell you what we do. So we have a design review process in which we try to basically define patterns. Um, being a, a startup and a scale-up, there's a lot of things that, let's say, they were done at some point one way. It worked for us some for some period of time, and as we scale up, we get more traffic, security concerns get more important, all the, these other different things, they started not working that well. So what we try to do is own the whole process and say like, okay, this is, we all own our platform, let's uh, propose ideas, let's see what works best for us, and let's put those ideas in design reviews, let's uh, technically attack them as much as possible and vet them. And once we come to that, solution, implement it, and then it's like, okay, now this is an established pattern. Let's try to use this as much as possible and push it as much as we can. So that that's I find that gives us a good balance between being able to innovate, um, also that makes the job more interesting for everybody, but then while at the same time we have the, those patterns which kind of constrain, and it's like, well, let's not reinvent the wheel all every time, or let's not, not have a team go rogue and implement this in whatever strange way they just came up with without telling anyone, and which has all these potentially security consideration or different ways of doing things just, just because they wanted to do them differently. So that's one of the ways we, we have found to achieve that, that balance, that let's say balance between innovations and guidance. Brilliant, thanks for that. We'll, I'll, we'll throw it back to you at the end if you've got any kind of other points after everyone else has spoken. Um, Javi, gonna throw it over to you next, mate. Yeah, uh, from uh, at Simple Wall Street and, and in, in previous companies uh, like Atlassian, I think something that um, I'm a, I feel very strong about is having a platform team. So something that we did here at Simple Wall Street is building platform team just when we were less than 20 engineers, because there are some big foundational pieces that need to be tackled and uh, putting the pressure into the, some of the feature teams, they normally don't get that much time or space to be keep improving. So uh, there's a foundational part that the, the platform team, which is cross-functional, it's a front and back end infrastructure, they are pushing forward and they the main goal for this team is really uh, enable feature teams to move faster. That's something that we are quite consistent and we have a ratio like around almost 20% of the people are within the platform team. Um, then there are some questions about all the topics which are not, because platform team cannot do everything. Like let's say, how do we organize front-end? How do we organize back-end? Which are topics that are go across teams and that actually it's, uh, we're having active discussions as, as we speak. How do we want to organize ourselves for success? something that we are uh, considering, I'm happy to hear your thoughts on that, is uh, structuring the function, uh, assign time, people and probably OKRs to some of these cross teams uh, efforts, like let's say backend. Well, if if we need to sit and discuss what the backend is going to look like, simply Wall Street is going to look like in the next three years, That's we need to provide that space 
for the people. We have the platform team that's going to support, but but we need the people to start thinking about that. So we want to formalize. We call it guild, but it's a bit uh, misleading because guild is being used in quite different ways, but uh, in other companies, especially since the Spotify model. But it's a way for a front-end guild have we're gonna, they're going to have rituals. They're going to have uh, backlog that they're going to tackle. They're going to have discussions. So it's going to be like a function across functions that we want to support. And that gives us space for senior engineers or principal engineers to start owning and leading this across teams. So we, we want to formalize that in a way that um, not is across, we have platform, we have feature teams, but then we have these, uh, we have front-end, back-end design systems, functions within the engineering that self-manage themselves in order to get better at the different stages. Um, we are starting this journey, so let's see how it goes. But uh, I think it, uh, so far, engineers feel quite empowered and, and engaged. But uh, it's probably it's going to work for the size of our company at this stage. If we go to the next level, then maybe we need another call and discuss about how it's going, because I, I expect we need to adjust. That's what we're doing today. I'll look. Um, I just say that I think to, 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 it sort of depends on the type of freedom, but if I just think about the kind of freedoms day to day that smart people need and deserve, and hey, let's face it, we pay them well for it, I think it's, you need to set some standards so there's some level of commonality between different groups or different departments or different people. And I, I don't mean standards that constrain people. I just mean the sort of standards that I guess you can kind of think about as the rules of engagement. So an example might be, we know well, here in Australia at least, like we drive on the left, um, but those driving rules don't tell us where we should drive to. That's up to the individual driver. So I think within tech, for example, like we use, say, TypeScript and Node, and we host with AWS, or maybe we have a sprint planning on a Wednesday. Um, but also on top of that, we also need to understand what are we aiming to achieve as a business it could be something like, hey, this feature is going to unlock a new cohort of potential customers. And these are the things often that are set, say, by a, a commercial strategy or a company strategy or something like that. So when, when it comes to scaling, these, these things all become our rules of engagement that we need to work within. It's our framework that we work within. And so the result is that we end up with areas of alignment. And as we, as we scale and grow, people adopt um, that level of those, those, that alignment or they adopt that rules of engagement so they're aligned. And so we sort of maintain, for want of a better term, that level of control. But um, then within each of these, they have the freedom to express themselves, to use their skills and experience to create the best result for the opportunity or for the customer need at hand. So I guess you could kind of almost think of it as kind of like barricades, you know, like we, we, we have barricades that we're all aiming in the same direction. Um, and if you bump into one of those barricades and say, hey, I'm going to go off and use some obscure technology, you're forced back inside by actually, um, no, we don't use that, we use this thing instead. Um, but what I will say is that I think it's really, really important um, that the rules of engagement should be tested and we should encourage people to, to, to uh, constructively um, test those, test those um, rules of engagement, especially if they feel like that they're creating unwanted constraints. So previous example, uh, software engineer says, hey, there's a new technology we should use or the new process that we should implement because what we're doing isn't going to be good enough, then they should raise that. And that might well lead to us saying, I understand that, but actually, no, we're not going to do that. The cost of introducing a new technology is much higher than the value we're going to get out of it. So actually, the rules of engagements that we have 
they, they stay. But in other times we look at, we say, okay, we're gonna change those rules of engagement. We've got to include that new technology. So again, we end up with that kind of you know control, but we're giving teams the freedom to do the things they want. And I've got to say that I, I actually think that um, rules of engagement like this help the, the creative process of building software, because it means that people don't have to think about the kind of more mundane things about maybe a workflow or a process or something like that. All of that stuff is kind of taken care of for them um, and it allows them to focus on their areas of expertise, but it creates alignment between different teams because we all know that we're all working um, in the same way. And I would just say one last thing, and that is that if we're talking about that freedom to sort of do whatever they want, you just got to invest in that. And what I mean by that is I sort of cringe a bit to use the term innovation or being innovative. Um, but if you really want to, you need to invest in that. It's not good enough to say we give people, you know, two days once a quarter to, to spend doing stuff or, hey, if they can find it, they get 20% of time in the afternoon. Like here at Aura, um, we have a concerted uh, effort to encourage innovation and to give people the freedom. And my mandate when people are doing that innovation, and we invest in it, and part of the budget that I have is, you know, we have money there that we expect to spend mainly on people for innovation, and that's what it has to be spent on. And and so those people, when they're when they're in that in that frame of mind, or when they're doing that innovation, they know that they have the freedom to do what they want. And I'll say that that commitment extends to me saying, if we don't come up with crazy crazy stuff, and 50% of it we kind of throw away because it's not possible, it's not the right time, then we're probably not being innovative enough. And for people to do that, they, as I say, they really need that time to kind of sit down and really think a little bit outside the box. And that, that requires real money to enable us to do that. And I, and I know that that's one of the reasons why um, you know, Aura is tasting the success we're getting and we're getting the, the interest that we're getting, I mean, the products that we build. Fantastic, it's a really interesting perspective on it. Federico, any kind of closing comments based on what, what the gents have said there? Um, well, what I felt closer was to what uh, Xavi was saying in terms of platform. And I was, I was thinking about it like, yeah, these are, Let's say um, we're not there yet, and I think it's 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 the journey of the company and the size of the company. We are at a, I would say at a perhaps at a previous stage, in where are more like patterns and templates and those kind of things, and and a platform comes next. And this is it's interesting because we're let's say in the same journey. We'll get to to the platform step uh, soon, or we're entering it perhaps on the. CICD platform side of things like predefined build and deployment pipelines and those kind of things. So I definitely see, uh, see us going creating a platform. One caveat I've seen though in previous experiences is, is which one in which the platform team takes too much on it. It's like everything is seen by the platform team as a platform feature and they try to implement it and all the other teams have a dependency on them and all of a sudden the platform team is completely smashed and everybody's waiting on them. And it creates this feeling that we're all waiting for them and they are smashed and they're like, oh, we're doing all the work. And then, yeah, but you set yourself to do that. So it's it's an interesting challenge growing, like what where things land or where, where they should land. Yeah, I think that's very interesting, uh, Federico, because uh, we see that uh, we, we, we we're lucky because actually the platform team is really leveraging a lot. So we we try to build a contribution model, and I, I've seen the same that in in previous experiences saying, yeah, no, this is platform thing, we take it, but we don't have capacity. Uh, and I think it should be the opposite. It's like, well, uh, if it's a platform, you are accountable for the platform, but that doesn't mean that you need to do all the platform. Really, especially in a small startup, anyone should feel 
empowered to contribute to someone else's. So there's like 20 people, 25 engineers, 30, very smart, so probably they have context and their documentation is good and the contribution model is good. Probably we shouldn't be scared. So I think that's the what we try to uh, you know, facilitate. And that has worked very well because I had the same concerns as you. That's just, uh, you know, having a platform team that they, they would try to uh, obscure enough. And actually, it's the opposite. It's working very well. People understand and saying, actually, now I have this technology and the platform is providing this one. How do I get, how can I contribute to get rid of that? And you guys have me. So it's either right contribution model is in place, it's working very nicely. Uh, but uh, I've seen going, as you mentioned, and that can be then actually could be a blocker uh, and quite frustrating, especially for the feature teams that are relying. So that's that's a very good point. I think it's I think it's interesting there that you're talking about kind of dependencies between different groups because I know David's got a few points to kind of talk about that a little bit later on. Um, before we get into that, moving on to the kind of culture side of things, um, how do you scale tech teams that are aligned to the company goals and what are the main challenges you're facing? Do you want to talk us through your process with that one, Javi? Yeah, I think that this is something that uh, for us, uh, on my experience, is, is so unique to each company. So each company, depending if it's a product focused or in our case, it's a very, the domain is very specific about the stock market, understanding the domain. Uh, but we rely heavily on SEO as a main acquisition channel. So there are many things that we need to take into account when we build the teams. Um, and then it's quite unique to say, yep, this is now the team. We ensure that all these things that we need to take into account for this specific problem that we're trying to solve, how do we do it? Um, and I think it's very interesting to hear what each company is facing. Uh, in our case, for uh, we are building, we use OKRs models. So we define OKRs on a quarterly basis and uh, for all the teams. And and we want all the teams to really provide KRs that aim. Uh, if it's a product team, they will have some uh, retention KR and then they might have an acquisition because we, we expect both of them to be, to be aiming and they have an engineering KR. So we define different level of KRs to support the different functions. Uh, when we think engineering, PM, and acquisition are important. Um, that's what we're doing, but then it's... Um, the, one of the problems might be that uh, how do you connect the dots between all, all the teams and how do you make that, if there are dependencies, make it work? Uh, so that's something that we are revisiting. I don't know if you... Maybe that, that, that was the main question I had for the rest of the the, the group is how often do you revisit the 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 way the teams are organized and, and prioritize things in our case i think we revisit every three six months we have constant discussions like well are all the teams aligned are they not aligned are we doing good job what should we change uh and i just wanted to know if uh, other people are feeling the same pain uh based on really aligning the teams and ensuring that aligned to the to the company goals David, are you feeling the same pain? Do you want to kind of talk on that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, same sort of thing. I mean, as you grow, it's a difficult thing to kind of to to to, to do. Um, so yeah, definitely feeling the kind of same kind of pain that, that you're feeling there. I, I guess if I think about 
the goals of the business. I, I think that and and um, to make sure that that tech teams are aligned to it. That there's sort of two aspects to it in my mind, I guess. And one is like how do we make sure that the message about what we're all here for is is heard loud and clear. Um, and that's especially the case when you no longer sit in the same room. I think every company that goes small and goes large hits a point where they don't realise that the communication hasn't has become bad. That's because you used to kind of just overhear everyone together, but suddenly you're in different locations or maybe you're different parts of the office even, and you can't necessarily hear that, particularly a problem these days with, with work from home. Um, and I think the other part is just how do you make sure that as you grow the business, you continue to focus on the same things and you don't go off on a tangent. Um, and for the first one, I think I'd, I'd probably refer back to a previous answer, which was that um, we need to make sure that we understand what we're here for. And that's really just your strategy. I think sometimes strategy conjures up an image of some huge PowerPoint presentation with pretty pictures and graphs that you kind of read once and sort of dismiss. I don't really mean that. I mean, I think the best strategies are really, really simple. They're just something that motivates us to understand what the opportunity is and brings us together for a common purpose. Um, and then um, some points in there that kind of say, well, how are we going to win? What are we focusing on and how are we going to win within that? So essentially, I guess, what is the opportunity in front of us? And then what is our business expectation for that opportunity? And if you if you, if you can put measurement in there for extra points, then measurement's obviously fantastic as well, but it, it can be difficult to measure some things that we end up doing. I think once we have that, it sort of creates a blueprint for departments or teams or whatever it is to maybe create their own strategy that support that, you know, marketing and tech and product and finance their individual strategies will add up to, to fulfilling that company need. Again, nothing lengthy, just, just something small that's, that's clear. Um, and I think if you have that, then as you grow as a company, it becomes really clear, A, hey, I know what I'm here for, and B, if you can measure it, I know if I'm being successful or not. And if I'm not, especially in certain areas, I'm not, because you're gonna measure different things and you kind of know, well, I need to go and pull that lever to, um, to, to actually get us back on track. Um, the second part, I think, uh, I think it re requires an understanding of what's most important to you. So we've all talked about kind of small teams and I completely agree that those small teams are the best way to get things done. And I also uh, agree, agree that um, teams that stay together, be they sporting teams or be they business teams, you get to know each other, you get to understand each other, you get to appreciate each other and you, therefore you just become a better, more productive, happier team. But in a growing business, you can't hire a bunch of people and put them all together and actually expect them to, to perform. So you do have to split teams. And also, I also agree that um, you just have to rebalance things sometimes. People have skills or experience or learn things or become stronger or weaker or enjoy or don't enjoy. So you do have to kind of make sure that you rebalance your teams. But I also would prefer to do that. We plan roughly quarterly. So I'd prefer to make sure that teams stay together for that quarter so they can get a bunch of work done and then think about rebalancing after that. Having said that, there's no point continuing on with something that you know isn't working and you're sure of that just because you'd rather not upset a team for a couple of months. So if you do need to change the team sooner, then change the teams to make sure that they're aligned to, to the company goals. And I think probably another challenge that we've got, good problem to have, but it's still a problem, is just the opportunity that can sometimes make it difficult to maintain focus. So if you've got, you know, I've got a CEO who's a firecracker, he's got a fantastic personality, people really enjoy talking to him and he's fantastic and very energetic about the business. The problem is that he'll come back with something new all the time. And we know that an idea that you can come up with and sort of say to someone in two minutes, it's gonna take a couple of months to build. So if you're doing that every single day, that becomes really difficult. So again, it's it's having a strategy that encompasses everything that you want to do, um, but not necessarily everything that you could do. And then having the discipline to make sure that you do stick to that. If you've got a strong strategy that has a, 
uh, the right customer base, you know, the right product to build for them, then stick to that. Because if you chop and change all the time, then uh, not only are you unlikely to be uh, aligned to company goals, but I don't think anyone's going to even know what those company goals are. Fantastic. <laughs> Some really, really good insights there. Federico, interested to hear your thoughts on that one, mate. Yeah, again, a lot of agreement with what has been said before. Um, so the techniques we use is OKRs as well. Um, it's a bit of a what I would call waterfall model of OKR in which like the sea level of the business defines the big rocks and then they start flowing down to all the other engineer, all the other teams and they are creating their own area level OKRs. It's okay, the business says we need to do this. Okay, what does it mean for us in engineering, in marketing, in whatever other team? And then each specific team comes up with their own OKRs and then they all should be aligned. Um, I find that to be very, very important. And the other thing is don't change them too often, uh, especially the higher they are. I would say even ideally you should set them for the year um, because otherwise if you start changing them too often, and I've experienced this a number of times with C-level people, exactly as you said, I had this great idea last week. When can we start doing this? And it's like, no, we're still building on the previous one. And if you change all the time, you basically, you work very hard. And at the end of it, you have achieved very little because you're never being able to complete it. And in fact, I think this go as far as saying like, let's not spend too much time on planning because we all know it's going to be time that is going to be wasted anyway. So you, it can have the, the complete opposite effect of what you want. Um, and then in terms of alignment, um, yeah, again, a balance there on restructuring um, to make them efficient versus not changing them too often. What we find is what we currently have is a bit of an internal discussion on like, well, let's say having, for example, for the DevOps function, having a central team there and have people come to us and let's say queue for what they need or assign people to the team so that they are more like self-sufficient teams and they can do all those things together and they develop the relationships and everything. Um, and we are in a bit of a balance at the moment, which is like, well, we do have the central team, but we assign people by default to the team. So trying to achieve both things at the same time, self-sufficient team, but at the same time, a central function that allows us to tackle more bigger tasks and have more people working on them. This also has the risk of creating a double reporting structure, which can be, again, be inefficient, multiple stand-ups and all the bureaucracy and inefficiencies associated to it. So it's, um, it's a balancing game there. Brilliant. Javi, do you have any kind of closing comments on those? Oh, thanks. Very uh, insightful. I think the, uh, I agree, in, and something that we are doing, I, I completely agree on the, on the context. So we do, monthly meetings going again. This is the problem. That's how we think we're going to win. Uh, really provide that context and we, we try to keep the yearly KRs stable. But you know, uh, then life in a startup happens and then you need to sometimes to uh, rethink that. But yeah, give you that context. And and it was really interesting from a uh, point from Federico about how the contribution model for probably functions or teams that are more like support teams. We have the, the model here, for example, we have data team, uh, we have uh, financial analysts team or content. So it's quite similar to what you mentioned. So they are embedded in, we have one person embedded in each of the feature teams 
which they are responsible for a domain within the platform. Um, and they work with that team. But then there's some work long-term uh, roadmap for the team to keep moving. So they always have, they're embedded in the team, but they still keep always a roadmap to keep improving. If we're talking about data, yes, they have a roadmap to improve data for everyone, but they are serving uh, each and each specific team with one person always embedded. Uh, we tried to follow that model and we found that model works very well to, to keep aligned, teams feel supported, and then those people report back to the, the data leads to say, yes, those things we need to fix. And then, you know, it, it's a good balance to, to make things work. But yeah, I would say uh, just repeating, giving context, not changing very often, and then keep adjusting as the, the thing is growing. That's, that's always a, uh, an art in, in a startup. Brilliant. Um, okay, so how do you deal with the growing dependencies between different groups that rely on the results of each other's work? Javi? So it's about uh, dealing with dependencies, with dependencies? Yeah, so how do you deal with growing dependencies between different groups that rely on the results of each other's work? Um, in our case, we structured teams to try to avoid as much as possible dependencies. Uh, maybe if I give you an example, uh, feature teams are focused, so feature teams are autonomous teams. They have, as we said, engineers, front-end, back-end. They have data support, they have content, they have uh, financial analysts to pro provide and support. And they're focused on A, we use the framework job to be done. In our case, if we use our platform, I don't know, you have a part which we call monitoring, which would be portfolio, a watch list when you are interested in the stock you just want to monitor or maybe you it's part of your portfolio so that team will be responsible for that um, and actually that we have one team per domain at this stage so they are quite autonomous on the work that they are doing so they don't have many dependencies so they, because they have the data they have the support of that and the, so basically they are quite autonomous Sometimes I think the where we see some friction is when you have a initiative that needs to go across. So it's not anything that we um, it's uh, an experiment. We run an experiment and say yes, we need to do this, and it doesn't fit across one specific team or domain. Maybe it's a growth experiment that needs to go into a portfolio. For that now, we, what we are experimenting is setting up the team that basically has one person from growth, one person from this domain, and they run the project in this case. Um, but normally we try to keep the teams as, as separate as possible. And in our case, it works very well because the domains are quite separate, but I understand in other situations can be quite tricky. Um, for, for me and for us here at Aura, uh, it's just about, it's about having some level of centralized planning um, and that involves lots of the, all the different groups that need to kind of work together. Um, and by coming to at regular intervals, um, you can create that alignment and understanding of what you do need from each other. So maybe an example, like I, I, I favour quarterly planning, and I think sometimes that freaks people out because it feels like how can you plan for, for that amount of time you don't know what's going on? And, and I think if you can't plan for that amount of time because you don't know what's going on, you've, you've got a separate set of problems because you can't focus people 
um, for three months, that's a, a real issue. And it's generally, I've never found it to be the case, even if, if you go to a company and they say we can't do that, generally they find that they can. Um, but with that quarterly planning, it's just about different teams understanding what they're going to need from each other. It may well be that there's an SME in a different team that they need access to. It might be that there's something that they need to have built that they're going to use, they're going to build on top of that, an API from a different team they need access to. So by having that level of quarterly planning, then um, you can go to each other and actually say, hey, you know, in uh, week three of the next quarter, we're going to need to have your SME. Is that possible? And the other team can look at what they've got planned and say, no, it's not. But how does week four look like? Or maybe one team that knows another team wants to, to use an API that they're about to build. They can do that at the start of the quarter. Then the other team can have that at the, at the end of the quarter. And then uh, the, other, the other way to make sure, because, hey, let's, let's face it, the other thing about planning for anything more than, say, a week is that things do change. Um, scope increases, you don't get what you want, someone's sick, um, then yeah, that can throw plans out the window. So then if you need to, just having some form of kind of scrum of scrums or something like that where you can come together similar to what you do, maybe on a weekly basis or a minimum fortnightly basis, where you can come together and just make sure that what you would plan to do to reduce that dependency, i.e., hey, we plan to have your SME come and join our team for a week so that we can learn what we need to learn, and you, we know that you've planned so that you don't need that person for that week, um, then you can you can touch base and say, hey, is that okay? It doesn't necessarily um, remove the dependency, um, but it allows you actually to make sure that it's not going to slow you down. You can look at the work that you've got coming up and maybe you can change that that work you've got, change the order of the work you've got so that you can cater for the changes that you've had in the business. But um, uh, dependencies are just a fact of a growing business. If you have a small team and you're all sitting together, dependencies kind of don't exist because you kind of all know what's going on and you kind of all understand what's happening across the business. But as you grow, you're going to get more and more dependencies. As you try and split the work of one team into multiple teams, well, it's probably likely that those two new teams are going to have some level of dependency between them. I also like an answer that was given previously is having something like a platform team. So saying, hey, here's something that's common amongst all the teams. So let's create a team that's actually responsible for those things. Um, and then that one team is the team that they know that, hey, we're building stuff that these other teams rely on and they can factor into their workflow the fact that they need to know from everyone else what's expected of them at any time. And effectively, those other teams within the business become their customers. Brilliant. Federico, um, keen to hear your perspective on this. Are you at the stage at Slip where you're going to have in these growing dependencies now? Uh, we're starting to have them. As we get more teams, it's becoming more apparent, um, at least inside the, the engineering area. With the other teams, that has always been there. Um, but yeah, that, that's starting to happen as well. So in tech teams, as I said, and this links to the previous answer, if you can have uh, self-sufficient teams, that helps a lot because it all stay, stays in the team, even if it is a team that has been for some that has been formed for some period of time that I find that makes things more efficient. Um, the other thing is about being clear of those dependencies and setting expectations, especially if you can do some planning that always helps. Um, and the last one is priorities, which is always a difficult conversation is if there are these dependencies and this is really important, well, let's all be, let's try all to be clear about priorities. And that's always a hard one because everybody wants to say yes, but the tricky thing is saying no to things, which is like, well, this this dependency that needs to be done, we need this person. It's like, okay, what are we saying no to? And that's where all the conversations stop and it's like, right. So it's like, 
if you don't have the capacity, you have to say no to something. And that's, I find that's, those are the, the hard conversations, but they're also the, the ones that enables you to align and actually then deliver on those promises and fulfill those dependencies. Fantastic. Um, all right, guys, we're almost finished up for the session. Um, any of you guys have any kind of closing comments to, to round up the event? David? Oh, look, I just think um, scaling's hard. It's an easy thing to say. We just add more of the stuff we've got, but it just introduces, and, and that's that's correct. It, it does introduce more of it. So theoretically, you should be able to get more stuff done, but there's more people to manage, more technology to manage. There's more communication to manage. There's more smart people with smart ideas that have to come together. You know, if you add, I've always said when someone says, how many people do you need to get through this work? I'll always say, well, if I add 30 more software engineers, then those th those 30 software engineers will be used up very, very quickly and we'll still have this, this, this problem of how to actually scale as a business because we're likely to have more people in the business coming up with more ideas. So it is a, it is a real issue, but it's a good problem to have, as I said earlier, um, because it means your business is growing, but, but it does need you to be um, to, to put concerted effort into making sure that you do it in a way that actually does create more productivity in the company because so, so many stories out there of people who have added more um, resources, more people, more whatever it might be, and actually they've got less work done. And then that has the added on effect that the people who are um, who really want to get stuff done, they're the ones who are first to leave your company. So your your, your best people will generally lose, you'll lose quicker, even though you're a growing company and they're probably the people that you need the most. Fantastic. Javi? Yeah, uh, same thoughts. Scaling is hard. And unfortunately, uh, every company situation moment, things may work or may not work, and you need to keep adjusting. Uh, so there's no uh, magic on we, we, we can uh, always apply. I would say that in our case, really, for scaling, onboarding, we, we make a crucial part of success. And that's where we have quite uh, structure onboarding. Um, and that helps a lot to see people feeling very comfortable. You know, everyone is very happy about the onboarding. They feel very supported and they feel after three months, well, actually people are, for example, committed to production, or pushing at just the production in the first week. So we, we, we try to support people to feel they are able to contribute as, as fast as possible. But then, really, it's depending on the team configuration on the challenges you need to to keep adjusting. So, um, yeah, onboarding is important, and then ensuring that the teams are set for success. Um, and that is another hard problem to solve. So, again, you need to keep adjusting and finding something over for the company. But that's the fun of it, and that's why you join a startup, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. And Federico, to finish us off, mate. Yeah, I, I found it very interesting, the different answers, um, because they show that there are in companies in, which are in different parts of the journey and sites. It, it's very clear from the type of answer. So I find that's very interesting. But yeah, at any level, scaling is hard. And I find that it all starts, let's say, initially with technology. When it's small, then it starts moving to, to processes and then to culture uh, as you grow in size. And, and this is where I've culture becomes really, really important the more you grow, like getting the right people to have that culture because then they continue to build it with you. At first, let's say you can touch everybody, you can talk to everybody, but then as you grow, you cannot. So that's when your 
the right people, especially your initial hires, are, are really key to, to, to be able to continue scaling. Amazing. Jens, thank you so much for your time today. It's a pleasure speaking to all of you. Um, yeah, looking forward to catching up soon. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thank you for inviting us, Danny.